Welcome back to Overdue Classics, the podcast for all the books you be meaning to read. I am Brandon LeBlanc, and I am joined again by Andrea Lipinski and Patty Bianco. How are y'all today? Doing great. Doing pretty good. Patty's in the brand new digs, this new Cersei digs. Mm, uh, if you haven't heard, Cersei has finally moved into a, a bigger space after years of looking and trying. So uh, go to the Cersei website, check out the news about that, and uh, see how you can help get us all moved in and cleaned up and spiffy for them so people can come visit uh, i am enjoying like the first of like kind of almost actual maybe just kind of fall weather here in, in houston so it's been rainy mm. but like cooler so it's been very pleasant that's wonderful yes nice moody moody weather so the uh there's a there's an atrium to this building that's a arboretum. It's got trees and everything. So this is kind of a square shaped building in the middle parts, you know, in the windows that face in and everything. And, um, there's a, there over the summer, a lamppost was put in there. So it's Narnia in there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, uh, I was commenting that like, this week, Narnia looks a little bit more like the forbidden forest. It's, it's a little bit, uh, a little bit <laughs> rough out there, out there in the, in the, with the rainy clouds, it gets pretty dark in there. I would have to say though, it's never winter in Narnia then. That's right. That's right. <laughs> If it's in Houston. <laughs> That's exactly true. We we get Christmas, but never winter, for never sure. Never winter. Yeah. That's right. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, we are on the last of the homilies in this collection. Uh, next week, we'll be looking at uh, something a little bit different with uh, some letters and some other things. Uh, but this is our last homily. A homily on the words, be attentive to yourself. And I was sadly right. This was not about self-care and pampering myself, as I was hoping it would be. <laughs> Well, I'm not canceling the spa treatment I have scheduled. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. I was hoping after the all the conviction on the homily about anger, against anger, that mm. this one would be a little bit, you know, more pampering to me, but it was not. Mm. It was not at all. Nope. I just he uses put, his tongue well. Yeah, I just I just put blue under the entire first paragraph. I started reading and I was like, oh, I'm, I'll probably come back with blue for that. Oh, and the, oh. and then for that. And also for that. <laughs> I was like, oh, I'll just make this whole paragraph blue. So, uh, it's just a beautiful introduction about the use of language and Mm. using it well or not using it well. And so I just thought, I'm just going to, you know, I just want to read that to all my, any class I teach where they have to write papers, you know, just be like, this is why you have language. (laughs) Like, so saith St. Basil. (laughs) Yeah. But just, it's like, just a great, um, analogy to, the sea and the and the the ships in the harbor and all those kind of things. It's just really nice. Before we dig in, Brandon, we need yeah. to do some kind of an overview of the whole. Yes. Sorry. I just look, opened it up and I was parts. staring at a page full of blue and I just had to comment. Yeah, you. It, it's washing over you, right? It is. It is. So if I could be so bold this time to share my Go one-line summary for each section. I like it. This is good. You told us you've been doing this each time. So let's go yeah. through it. This one was fun. So section one, language makes public things that are in the depths. Mm. Section two, be able to judge harmful versus healthful. Mm. Three, be able to apportion gifts to both body and soul. Mm. Four, be able to recognize the strengths and illnesses of your soul. Five, be able to sing to your heart a reminder of who is king. Mm. Use a little creative liberty on that one. (laughs) Six, be able to receive his kingdom as his child. Mm -hmm. That one as well. Seven, be able to examine learned things that are stored away. And eight, be able to examine the body as God's creation. Once I saw the that be able to in the second one, I thought, well, could this fit? Mm-hmm. What is he trying to give us here? Yeah. So that was the theme. What does it mean to be attentive to yourself? It's to be able to do these things. I did think it was interesting um, in that first paragraph, Brandon mm-hmm. was talking about that it pointed to our souls. And he says that the, if the, if our lives were spent with a naked soul, we would be able to immediately communicate with each other through mm-hmm. our thoughts, right? We wouldn't need language, but our soul is concealed mm-hmm. under veils of flesh. So it produces mm-hmm. thoughts and words to make public the things lying in the depth. 
And I had never heard before the Garden of Eden that originally we did not have even skin at that time. We always think of the clothes, right? The the fig right. leaves and there's the um, sacrifice to make skins, uh, you know, the animal skins are clothes. But there's some that believe that we were naked then, no skin at all. And then we got flesh. And mm-hmm. so that parallel, I was like, huh, that's kind of interesting that our soul was almost bare, right? Mm-hmm. It was just pure. And we could have, but then we needed to communicate differently, to share. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that idea that we had some other kind of bodies. We were body embodied somehow, but not like we, yeah, that that putting on the clothes is, is what we look like now, basically. It opens it up to different different interpretation or different visions of this. Okay, well, I'm going to push on that one just for funsies. So are you saying that the shape we have could have been a different shape, but it got reshaped so that it could wear clothing? Like the clothes have to be able to stay on, right? So maybe we need to get a butt so that the hips stay, the pants stay up around the hips. Uh, or <laughs> That's where I, my head went. <laughs> I think if I understand it, like the way we have typically envisioned it, um, at least, at least for me and, you know, church flannel graphs is that we were like we are now, but naked. And then, so then when there was sin, we had to put on leaves and animal skins and whatnot, like fur, like a, the skin of a bear or something, Mm. but that the other interpretation of what's being said in Genesis is that we had some other kind of body, maybe more like an, some more like angelic bodies or, and that when we sinned, we had to get a mortal body. Mm. And that's the skin that we're that we that was the, the the clothing of skin is literally the clothing of skin, like our skin, our enfleshed mortal bodies. Um, that include the the gluteus maximus muscles. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I, and it was inter- I thought about that too, Patty, when I was reading this because right up until that last section eight, which you mentioned was the what you what was your title for that one? Uh, the the very last one, eight uh, about the body able to examine the body as God's creation. Yeah. So he kept like coming right up against, it seemed like to me, the line of like, of being Gnostic, right? Like soul, good body, bad. And even like his, him describing the soul as separate from the, this body. I've heard other people talk, other theologians and priests and whatever talk about how well actually no we are like our soul is the spirit and the body together like that's the that's what kind of that's what kind of being man is he's a the human soul is the combination of spirit and body so i don't know that's way way beyond my way beyond my comprehension theologically but he comes back and says no for me that lets it be like it's not gnostic because the because a body is bad but these bodies decay. The body we have right now is mortal. Mm-hmm. The body we'll have in glorification ultimately will not. So he's drawing that line, but like he keeps coming right up against it and almost getting, and then like, then he throws a, then he puts a line and it's like, keeps you from kind of going all the way over into that Gnostic territory, which I thought was pretty. And then he finishes with focusing on the glory, like, you know, the body, which I thought was pretty brilliant. So, the picture he has of the sea, though, with the looking at because we do use language, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. If we have a meaningful voice, it's carried in a ferry crossing the air. It passes from the speaker to the hearer, and it finds the sea calm and quiet. The discourse comes to anchor in the ears of the students. Tranquil harbors, untroubled by storms. Yeah. But if it is a kind of rough, rough upsurge, the clamor of the hearers blows adversely. It will be dissolved as it is shipwrecked in the air. And then I, I like his conclusion. Therefore, make it calm for the discourse through silence. Yeah. Andrew, you you sail. So, I mean, I, I, it, yeah, the more I went back and read it, the more I was like, this is such a great analogy. Because if you're at where there's calm water... Mm-hmm. Your voice will carry for a really long way across calm water. If you're at a you know a lake or a pond that's not being yeah. you know in a calm day, you're, it actually carries your voice pretty well. 
but as mm-hmm. soon as there's any waves or wind, it's gone. Like, like even a little bit, it totally erases it. And if you're in a storm, nothing, you, there's no hearing across the water. Yeah. Yeah. This last uh, sailing, we were responding to a mayday. It was my first time to hear a mayday on the radio. Oh, wow. And to, the, the, to hear the man's voice saying he's about to have to abandon ship um, mm-hmm. was worse than chilling. Um, and so, yeah, we, you know, we had all hands on deck, all eyes trying to find him on the water. Right. Um, and we're on a, a sailboat in really rough waters, like mm-hmm. really rough, rough waters. Um, so there's no way we could have called out or heard anything, right? Only by radio would we have any idea. Um, but thankfully there were other power boats in the water that made it to him sooner than we did. Mm. Yeah. Um, calm waters are totally different. Yeah. And I'm thinking about the calmness for our students. You know, he's talking about that, um, that to make a calm spot for a discourse to happen, he instructs us to provide silence. Right? I often find teachers, and I've, I've done it, but um, in my, you know, in the apprenticeship as we're doing trainings or at workshops, who um, feel like they have to fill in the gaps fill in the empty spaces, the silences, and keep talking. Yeah, I think that's the hardest part for a teacher is to wait mm-hmm. and be silent. Yeah. <laughs> you want to jump in, even well, even as parents, right? Yeah. You want to jump in. You don't want to wait for the child to learn the lesson on their own. But, but he's saying you have to wait for that untroubled storm to allow this idea to take anchor. Mm-hmm. So that silence allows for it to take anchor. Like that's a whole nother wonderful visual. Yeah. I also thought it was interesting. He says the word of truth is hard to catch, is easily able to escape those who do not examine it Mm. attentively. So the spirit directs it, directs that it be brief and modest to signify much in a few words and through conciseness be easy to retain in the memory. Mm-hmm. And that made me think of lost tools <laughs> in the persuasive uh-huh. essay. Yeah, right. And working on brevity with my students, right? Mm-hmm. Don't say in 20 words what you can say in 10. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's, I think, largely why I enjoy St. Basil the Great's writing. Mm-hmm. He doesn't take 20 words to say what he can mm-hmm. say in 10. Mm-hmm. Right. He's he's worth listening to every word. Other people, whether in writing or in verbal exchange, I know I can tune out for a little bit, come back and, hey, I didn't miss anything. Yeah. That is not Guilty. the case. With them. Do the whole like read the first line and the last line of the paragraph. I'm like, got it. Got mm-hmm. it. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Guilty. Right, but it's right for him, for his words. If we don't examine everything carefully, that word of truth will easily escape. We won't be able to catch it. Yeah, I mean, he starts and he starts right in the beginning of it with his first section, um, something he kind of returns to, uh, uh, to in looking different facets to this, the 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 danger of kind of runaway imagination, right? That if we're just letting our mind wander because yeah. we're not being attentive, right, to our thoughts. Um that the trouble that gets us into you. Um, and then, then you're sitting in your heart with no one to see you, no one to catch you, no one to, you know, help correct you uh, lovingly. Um, and that's really what a lot of this being attentive is about, right? Like it's really having a focus on paying attention to the, what, what you're doing with your mind in particular. Mm-hmm. Right, so that a lawless word doesn't become hidden in our heart. Mm-hmm. I think guarding stood out to me in a couple mm-hmm. sections, right? Just, yeah. He mentions on the top of 94 that um, the greatest part of sin is accomplished in impulse through what is in our intention. But God has prescribed purity in our directive faculty as primary for us. So we have to keep on guard to keep that purity. The greatest part of sin is accomplished in impulse. 
Mm-hmm. It's the quick. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's back to the anger, right? <laughs> the temper. Temper. Passion yeah. that rises up, that impulse. Mm-hmm. It's very quick. Yeah, and I like how he draws out in the middle of that page 94, Patty. But the movements of the mind operate timelessly, are completed without weariness, are constructed effortlessly, and are convenient on every occasion. It is way too easy. That's very true. (laughs) I think um, with the physical, we might give it more thought, but especially if it's in our mind and no one else else can see in there. No one knows (laughs) what's going on. Mm-hmm. And think right. all kinds of things. Yeah, with the physical, I have to take some action, right? I have to to move. the The mind can do all the movement in a in a second with no no weariness. Yeah, no, no weariness. Yeah, no time. Uh huh. That's where I, I find the story. Um, Jesus, the temptation. You know, the forty days when the devil's mm-hmm. up there tempting him on the mountain, and so anytime a thought like that comes into my mind, I have to say, you know, get behind me, <laughs> get behind me, Satan. Right? Just don't. Mm. I've got to let it. Because if it's physical, I could keep myself from something. Right? I can pull myself back or not actually do that action. But with my mind, how do I get it to flee mm-hmm. that thought? So for me, that's usually where it works. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, and that's, that's, that's part of what's, it's not the only function of it, but it's part of what's behind the things like the Jesus prayer as well. Right. Those are the, in those moments, Uh, anything like that, anything that you can, like you said, the verse, get behind me, Satan. Uh, uh, I'm sure there are any number of proverbs and songs, if you can call them to to mind that you're filling your mind with something else, right? Something, Mm -hmm. something virtuous and holy um, and driving out those things that might, might be innocent at first, but quickly a temptation. Well, I mean, on that note, if you go to the kind of the middle of section two, he says, let us flee sin as the non-rational animals flee harmful foods, but pursue justice as they pursue nourishing grass. Mm -hmm. I liked that analogy, right? So if we have the sailing analogy and now we have, you know, animals do this without um, instruction, right? But he, he, I left off the front of that. He says, you know, to do this, to flee sin as an animal flees harmful food and pursue justice as an animal pursues nourishing grass as a way of guarding the resources given us by God. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, go back to that word guarding you gave us, Patty. Um that's a responsibility. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this, I mean, this section really seems to be focused on that, right? That we, we've been given ways to guard ourselves by God. In our case, uh, rational attentiveness, the animal has other instincts, but um, we've been given this higher, higher uh, order of thinking and protection that we should uh, make use of. And so, God hasn't left us without, you know, without defenses against the snares, um, but we have to be employing them. Yeah, and he gave us two two kinds of attentiveness to gaze intently with our eyes on the visible things around us, which I think back to the an earlier homily where he says that um, the one of the books we are to read is creation. Um, so with our visible eyes. And the second one is our noetic faculty of the soul. Yeah. Yeah. There were a couple of those callbacks that felt, felt like, I mean, I'm assuming, assuming this homily came later. I don't actually know, but right. that, that called back to those previous things we'd read. Yeah. For us, it's a callback. <laughs> yeah. Anything else you noticed in section two? I mean, that one really felt like you saying, listen, you've got, you have the tools at your disposal. That's kind of what that, that how two came across to me. Mm. And then he starts to go into more specifics about, what to be attentive about in, in three. Yeah, I mean, he went as far as to say, let the eye of your soul be sleepless mm-hmm. to guard yourself. Yeah. That's a nonstop. Yep. Big deal. Yeah. 
I think that like with your med, it goes back to the imagination that he was talking about, right? Not to get carried away because we can see certain things, right? With our eyes and we can be acting right with our body, but with our mind, even our imagination needs to be submitting to not go crazy, to be content. Mm. Yeah. And so then in three, I guess, yeah, like you're saying, Brandon, he gives us, he starts, here's more specific ways to do mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Well, he, he, yeah. Um, I mean, he starts right in the beginning, not not to what is yours or no, not, nor to what is around you. And this is where he kind of first started to sound, you know, uh, moving, moving a little bit toward the Nostra. He's like, not about your about the body, but about the soul, but not about your stuff either. But then he comes back around to it even before he finishes this section. Um, that kind of the bottom of 96 going on 97 and says that you may know that what gift is apportioned to each um, for the flesh nourishment and coverings and for the soul doctrines of piety, education and courtesy, training and virtue, correction of passion. So he's not saying, you know, to completely neglect the body um, to, to, you know, to take care of the body you have, but not to overindulge really. Um, but his focus really is on the, the kind of the, the life of the mind, we might say, or um, the, or the soul, the noose, uh, maybe the noetic, in particular, the noetic function of the soul. So do you find that he's saying that the flesh is bad? Is that, no, no. I, he's walking a line. Like, I, I feel like he was like coming up to it up until that point, And then he says, you know, and he has that line letting you know to take care of the body's needs. So before mm-hmm. that, he talks about, um, oh, uh, do not be attentive to the flesh, nor pursue its good in every manner, uh, health and beauty and enjoyment of pleasures in long life, nor admire wealth and reputation and power. Um, and then at the very top, for we ourselves are one thing, and what is ours is another, and the things around us another. But he lists what is ours among what is ours as the body, the body is ours. And so it could start leaning that way, right? Before you get to the end of the paragraph or into the section. And he talks about the soul being mortal and immortal. The soul being, sorry, the soul being immortal and the body being mortal and not remaining in the mortal things. But then he, but then he kind of uh, tempers it toward the end, I guess, so that it's not, doesn't, it doesn't roll over into the Gnostic. And I think he kind of does that a few times throughout this, throughout this homily. And then finally gives the body its more full treatment at the end. Um, so he's, I think clearly, he's trying to clear, clarify what he means by be attentive only to yourself. Right. Right. It doesn't mean like these selfish material needs. Right. Yeah. You have to, you have a body, but you also have this spiritual and not to confuse the two mm-hmm. not make food and all these other possessions an idol yeah i yeah, think I'll you're be- right he's talking about don't when i say be attentive to yourself i mean again he's going back to the mind and the heart not the the functions of the soul not the the needs of the body yeah it's not go right. treat yourself right yeah, sorry. shopping and <laughs> i spa i treat, have to cancel the spa treat yourself <laughs> But yeah, he said, "Do not fatten the body excessively." <laughs> kind of yeah. like that. That um, I mean, yeah. That vision I, of the scales, right? Pound yeah. of flesh. Mm. Well, that was the that was the part toward the end where I put some orange underlying things I want to think about or I'm not sure about. I'm questioning, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. he talks about that more specifically. That if you increase one, you decrease the other. And I okay. see that to an extent, right? If you're gluttonous, you're decreasing the soul. But if you're, but it seems to lean toward maybe, uh, lean toward maybe uh, a, a more extreme form of asceticism. Um, mm. But then he moves on and, and, and he talks about the body later. So um, that section taken out of context, I think could could lead to some misconceptions maybe. Yeah, I, I too was, I had a bit of a question because he, at the very end, right, he says, following this, the state of the body withers. Yeah. And and does he mean that our body, we should be having our body wither or does it just wither because of the decayed state, right? We're going right. back to dust. Right. 
And then you get into all kinds of categories about, you know, well, if the soul is in really great condition, sometimes the body doesn't wither as far as <laughs> miracles go. So, right. and a whole nother can of worms, yeah. but he kind of moves on. So he doesn't really address any of that. Yeah. I mean, I, so especially because he's laying the, that last full sentence, right? When the body enjoys well-being and becomes heavy through fleshiness, the mind is necessarily inactive and slack in its proper activity, right? So there's the seesaw. And so then he says the seesaw flips. When the soul is in a good condition through the care of its own good, it's raised up towards its proper greatness, the body withers. Mm-hmm. And I wondered the, the, yeah, he's not walking the line so well there. Um, and yet I gave him the benefit of the doubt, whether I should have or not, that, or that, okay, so I'll show my age. I don't, I don't find uh, 15 year olds and, many 20 or 25 year olds with their souls in good condition in the same way that I find it more so with people who are older and have had a chance to live more and reflect more, um, forgive more and love more. Does that make sense? So I thought of it in that regard, if it takes time for the soul, um, to, to do those things is a body withering because of the aging. Like it's older people are mm. the ones that I've experienced who are, yeah, they, they've forgiven more and they love more. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not, sh- yeah, I'm not sure. Um, That's not what he's saying. And I'm, I'm saying, I think I did poorly by him to read that into what he was saying. Cause he doesn't say that. Yeah, I think it's easy for me to agree with the front half of what he says, right? That like, if you're, um, uh, your body is well, it becomes heavy with fleshiness. Like that seems to me like your your body isn't really healthy. It's it's overindulged, right? And that's also gonna that's also gonna have an effect on the mind and the soul uh, in a negative way if you're overindulging. Um, but withers is to me is different than keeping the body healthy, um, you know. So I'm not really sure. Is there a golden mean here? I, I would think so, but I'm not sure what he's saying in this particular yeah. t- section yeah. of the text. Yeah. Um, I don't see him saying that. Or is he really saying that you know this a soul in good condition you know wears itself out doing the good for. It it, mm. it it goes out something you know when it when it, it, mm. it at times it uh, yeah it fasts it uh, does things that wear the body out and so I don't know um, and even though yeah I you know I kind of tongue in cheek made the comment about you know people whose bodies are incorrupt but even they aren't necessarily like they're not like what you would pick a picture of someone that's like physically fit or, you know, whatever, you know, they, they're still, I think of some, I think many of those things would probably still have what we might consider a withered body. If it's been used, like you said, well into old age doing service. Right. So maybe, maybe we're splitting hairs and maybe it's just doesn't because he doesn't expound on it. it right. We're stuck with whatever the, whatever's being translated as state of the body withers, you know, maybe that withers word is not as, not as clear for us as we, it might be if we knew the if we knew the Greek. I think you wrote this in Greek. Um, so, but since it wasn't the main crux, and he moves on and he talks about the body again later, I didn't. I was I wasn't yeah. too hung up on it, but I did mark it when I was going through. Yeah. Would you, mm-hmm, Patty? Let's go on to talk about healing. Yeah. About likewise, also the word a physician for our souls thoroughly cures the soul afflicted by sin. Through this small aid, be attentive then to yourself that you may also receive the aid of healing proportionate to your offense. If the sin is great and severe, you may need or you need many confessions, bitter tears, earnestness and vigils, continual fasting. So some of those things may lead to that withering. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's true. That's good. That's actually good in light of what was ahead of it, above it. I mean, mm-hmm. that helps. I, I guess I've, 
maybe the sections were, were messing me up on that one. You know, so I was separating it so much from a, from the previous section that I wasn't seeing those two things in uh, in connection with each other. I just heard that on another podcast. I was listening to the daily scriptures and it's the passage in Ephesians about marriage. And because there's usually a break before you say wives submit to oh, your yeah. husbands, uh, verse 21, people separate it, but it really yeah. goes with the mm. verses about marriage. Yes. <laughs> it's easy to do. <laughs> I saw I, someone pointed out to me recently too. That's funny. Well, this one too, like I appreciated that all those things sound rough, right? Like many confessions, bitter tears, earnestness and vigils, continual fasting. But I appreciate that he has that. He talks about that in the language of healing, not in the language of like punishment or. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's it's that's actually all those things are actually to to heal the sickness in your soul. Yeah, this part was funny to me because it starts off like even if you're not sick, you know, uh, useful to the sick and the and the healthy, and then got to the end of that first paragraph and it says, you know, thus the same thing both heals the sick and makes the perfect healthy. And I just put a note out of the side. If you're attentive, you probably realize you're not actually healthy. <laughs> like, <laughs> he's like, he's like, just saying, yeah, even if you're healthy, you should be attentive. Cause it's like, if they follow his advice, they'll realize mm, not so healthy. Right. So just kind of a little, I don't know. Maybe yeah, laugh, he says maybe two sentences above that one for many through lack of attention, get great and incurable illnesses. Right. <laughs> they don't even know themselves that they are ill right right <laughs> i just thought that was brilliant he's like look yeah maybe you're fine mm-hmm. it'll just make you even healthier but you know be attentive anyway so you can be healthiest as possible and then only to realize yeah not so healthy mm-hmm. you have a horrible horrible cell soul disease yeah so well you realize that when you start working out for the first time and you haven't <laughs> in a really long time for real the body tells you like hey you're not as in shape as you thought you were yeah mm-hmm. yes i've been getting yes. a few times a week is and out uh working out with my son at 6 a.m that's the way we start the day yeah and yeah the body's giving me lots of feedback <laughs> yeah kobe is just coming off six weeks of prescribed bed rest and this whole last year has been you know off and on from yeah. all her health stuff and so she i don't even wonder what she did like she got on an exercise bike or something and lifted up picked up a kid at church and then like then she's like everything hurts i don't know what's wrong with me i was like yeah you all of your muscles are atrophied right like i think they're all she's like <laughs> and so what happened? yeah so it's it's rough man when you get laid uh, you know when you come back in for the first time and it's the same thing here right you come you come back in after not paying attention and you're like, Oh, there's so many things and it hurts so bad. So a friend of mine's mom calls it taking her vitamin A Advil. Nice. <laughs> when she picks back up workouts. Um, yeah. And I just thought of that when I read at the end of 98, so the end of section four, um, St. Basil tells us to keep the gaze of your soul undistracted, shield your vital organs, putting your hands in front of them. Let your eye look intently towards your opponent. And mm. in the race, stretch forward to what lies ahead. Run so that you may obtain. And this one, in wrestling, struggle against the invisible opponents. Mm. Yeah. So I'm like, everything before that was all, I mean, very physical. Have have the, but I guess the gaze of your soul undistracted. Shield your vital organs by putting your hands in front of them. That feels physical. Let the eye look at your opponent. In the race, stretch to what lies ahead. Run so that you can obtain. And then he says, struggle against the invisible opponent. Yeah. So that we may soberly and vigilantly watch over ourselves. Like soberly. That, that means we have to be honest with ourselves. Yeah, this whole session is so good because it's like, it's like, yeah, you, this is going to look, I think it's like a, this acknowledgement, this is going to look different for each of us, right? Because he goes through different types of people, different types of, he basically professions of mm-hmm. his time. Um, but so sure, yeah, you're called to be a farmer, you're called to be a soldier. That's that's the that's the, the lot you've been given in life, whatever, however you want to take that. But then this still applies and it just plays out for each person in the circumstances yeah. of, of their life. Um, and then he finishes with the athlete and then that lets him go into, you just wrote about, you know, kind of paraphrasing Paul and then ex- expanding on it. Yeah. Um, and it was just really, 
for me, it was encouraging. It was like, okay, it doesn't have to look, it was encouraging and challenging, I guess. It doesn't have to look like so-and-so, right? Um, it doesn't have to look like, you know, some saint or monk I just read about who's lived this, like, such this selfless life. But I've been called to, I haven't been called to be on a mountain in the middle of nowhere with a bunch of other people, a bunch of other guys praying all day. I've been called to be a dad and a husband and, a, you know, work at this school and, okay so i have to work it out here yeah and um and that's just as just as good and just as holy and just as righteous and a, a quest um to work it out here in this world uh in this life so i just i don't know i thought this that was really good that he just kind of and he ties it like he like ties it to their to what they do right mm-hmm. if you're a hunter then hunt this if you're you know he he uses the analogy of their own life to to turn them back toward this kind of ultimate work of our lives. I don't know if you guys agreed with what I, or would agree with, you know, how I titled five, be able to sing to your heart, a reminder of who is King. It's mm. where at the end he put the back and forth, slave, master, poor, rich, captive, king, strong, weak, misshapen, attractive. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that whole, so I had, so I had started, I think I mentioned to y'all that one of the things I was doing green was like these run, these runs of questions, you know, as a structural thing he uses. So mm-hmm. he has a bunch of those at the bottom of 100. Mm-hmm. And then I immediately like, a, and then I was like, then basically everything after that ended up in blue. <laughs> Mm-hmm. stoop and look into the tomb to see if you can distinguish which is the slave and which is the master which is the poor one and which is the rich distinguish of such power as yours the captive from the king the strong from the weak the attractive from the misshapen so having remembered your nature you will not then be conceited and you will remember yourself if you're attentive to yourself yeah it's just a this was you know, here he turns i guess in this section he turns to after spending three and four talking about you know how to be and what to be attentive to in ourselves mm-hmm. he makes sure that we're not turning that immediately turning that outward right and, and being being attentive to someone else's sins um mm-hmm. and so he turned you know he for me i had a little note out to the side here kind of middle of page 100 you know uh, uh, i probably i may not have said this you know before i was in churches where this was the the normal thing um but there's communal confession in several in several traditions, uh, Catholic, Orthodox, Anglican, I think Lutheran, and even many Presbyterian churches. That there's a kind of a communal confession that's part of the part of the service, right? Where there's a prayer of confession that people say together, um, and it, you know it's not it's not meant to to replace or eradicate individual confession of specific sins on your own or to someone else. Um, but that's because it's so built into the to the rhythm of the liturgy. Like I'm reminded, oh, okay, there are these things that you know, it, it keeps it fresh in my mind for me. That um, that uh, it's a way of staying attentive to it, um, especially if then it's also in your you know your morning prayers or something like if it has a similar type of time built built in and. Uh, it helps to keep the focus on me and not someone else's sins too. Um, anyway, it has, it has been for me. Yeah. I thought Andrea's titling was a little charitable. <laughs> I probably would have said, you know, look at your own plate, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Judge not lest ye be. Ju- um, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It was funny too. Like I read the first part of it on page 99 and then as soon as I start reading it on um it's well if first of all it's interesting that he refers to i guess god or christ as the legislator but um that one was someone i wanted to think about some more um but then everything that came to mind he starts talking he then covers like he i thought about oh this is i this is the removing the log from your own eye oh there there it is and then after yeah. he said that i was like it's kind of like the oh there's the pharisee and the public and there it is and so mm-hmm. i was like i was like it was good. It was like, this is reminding me of these things that I should already know. Uh, yeah, it was. I think that Pharisee in public and one is, is really helpful, right? Mm-hmm. When you want to 
maybe be puffed up. He says, do not cease examining yourself as to whether you have sinned somehow in thought, whether somehow your tongue has slipped, running ahead of your mind, whether in the works of your hands you have done something inadvisable. If you find in your own life many sins, and you will surely find some, being human, say the words of the publican, O God, be gracious Mm. to me, the sinner. Yeah, it, I think probably the first person that like brought my attention to it was Andrew several years ago giving a talk um, about the, and this comes up often for him talking to parents and teachers about the um, prodigal son. And then I've heard the message come back around several times since then um, that, you know, the prodigal son is the one who actually confesses and receives forgiveness it's the older brother who's and Andrew likes to joke that we call it the, it should be called the parable of the older brother um <laughs> but like and then he was convicting that we all try and raise either as parents uh, not on purpose but we end up we end up like reinforcing older brother mentality right for in students or children to just behave right so i've in recent years just had to keep reminding myself oh i have i want to be the prodigal <laughs> I want to be the prodigal in the story. So I want to, I want to keep confessing um, and, and not be looking not the brother looking at the sins of my brother. Right. So not the older brother. Um, and accepted me, back. Right. As the yeah, father did for the prodigal. Right. That's the most, like I never thought of it growing up. Right. But that's the most haunting thought about that, that parable is that we don't know what happened to the older brother. Like he just leaves it on, you know, and and C.S. Lewis picks up on this with Susan at the end of Chronicles of Narnia. Like we don't know her ultimate fate because she turned her back on on the real things, and we don't know the brother's mm-hmm. ultimate fate. Um, and it's a cautionary tale in that sense because you could be lost forever, right? If you if you deny these things, and so if you don't come back to God, and so that's um, that's where my mind went a little bit on this, and and then thinking how do I how do I get even better at this continual attentiveness to that to i don't know when i feel sinned against like confessing my own sin instead of like dwelling in the frustration of being sinned against i don't know something i I need something i need something to to pull me out of this kind of judgment of other people i think that's why andrea titled it uh, something about seeing right it says you can sing, sing it to your heart because that's heart. his words i mean mm-hmm. he'll use those words in the middle at the at the last paragraph um, so sing to your heart a reminder of who's king, right? So nobody owes me anything. So when I'm affronted or I want to poke at somebody else's splinter, you know, um, I can be reminded, I need to remind myself of who's actually king and who's on the throne um, and to who I owe my all. Nobody owes me anything. Yeah. And so anybody that I think owes me, I need to release. Oh, Lord, Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Your title is a more hopeful exhortation to do the right thing, to sing into your heart. <laughs> so let's go with that. I like it. <laughs> I, think I, I think I landed there because at the very end, he says, remember your nature and you will not then be conceited. You will remember yourself if you are attentive to yourself, right? So to remember your nature, that last word there to me mm. is where I need to remember that my God is king. Interesting. Yeah, that. So when I read that, remember your nature, and you'll not mm-hmm. even conceited, I was I was drawn back to the second homily where he mm-hmm. makes that distinction of like, you're both low and high right like Mm -hmm. you're made out of the dirt but you're made in the image of god like both of these things are true about you so don't get conceited about the fact that you made a bunch of money you're made out of dirt but also you're in the image of god and so is everybody else around you so (laughs) like it was remember that 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 your nature um yeah you're right it is it's all of that and he spends that section kind of talking about those who have achieved things that you might be proud of, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. And then immediately turns to those who are like, well, I don't really have that problem because I have had a rough life, you know, like or the, right. the, they're the downtrodden. And it kind of gives it, maybe that's where, I, you know, 
kind of gives them that other side that we were just talking about the two things. Okay, you're made out of dirt, but then also this is the, yeah, but you have all these promises. You're made out of God and you have these promises that are beyond all these things, above all these things. I mean, oftentimes when we scrutinize another, it's an unhealthy way of trying to elevate ourselves. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's why I went the direction I did when he's saying not to scrutinize the weaknesses that belong to another, but be attentive to yourself. Right. Top of 100. Um, which again, on six, I think uh, you you might disagree with me the way I summarized that one. <laughs> what was the summary? What was the title on that one? Or your one word? Be Make able to, re- to, you know, be able to, right? That's the, the way I tried to, the pattern I went for. Receive his kingdom as his child. Hmm. Right? Because he talks in there first, <laughs> you've been entirely formed by the very hands of God. We are formed by the Most High King. We've been given an intellectual soul. I'm still learning what that means. <laughs> um, but by it, we can pluck the sweetest fruit of wisdom. And we can comprehend God. Like, mm. And he closes with... Um, you know, like if you don't have this and you don't have that and you don't have this, right? You're the, the poor mm-hmm. side of that dichotomy that he gave us a moment ago. Um, but here's the things that you are for your sake. God is present among the human beings. The distribution of the Holy Spirit, the destruction of death, the hope of resurrection, divine ordinances perfecting your life. That there's a journey toward God through the commandments. That the kingdom of heaven is ready and crowns of righteousness are prepared for one who has not fled from labors on behalf of virtue. So, yeah, that's the, so yeah, be able to receive his kingdom as his child and not try to make my own kingdom on this earth. Not focus on what I don't have. I'm actually a part of a kingdom. That will last forever. Because my soul will as well. And as his child, I'm, I will inherit these things. These are all, these are for me and others. I'm not alone, but, you know, he's telling us to just to figure out ourselves here. Yeah, I like how he, he said, um, do not air and sky and dancing stars disclose to you their pattern right and then immediately after that why then are you downcast because your horse does not have a silver mounted bridle yeah. right. right we we have the mu- the moon the sun the stars the cre- you know it's calling back to that creation right with our eyes we we have been given this earthly kingdom and not to think of just that, you know, I don't have a, a bed of ivory to lie on. And the oceans are passable for us. Well, for some of us, I get seasick. But... <laughs> <laughs> right, like, yeah, I, don't, I mean, where does or fit in with that? Where does or? or? Yeah, when you when we've been given the sky and the dancing stars, um, when all the animals are under our dominion, when the moon has a, is a limitless light shining around us, like all of these things are for us and for us to care for and for us to know Him. Um, and so those are the human things he calls them that are for us. And then there's even greater things that are for our sake. And I think that leads us into the next section where we have to not, we have to be content with the things that we have presently, right? If we're poor and we don't have, you know, the riches or maybe we are well-to-do, but we're always, you know, looking further ahead yeah, it's always uh, greener on the other side. <laughs> well, because 
Evil desires madden the soul, he says. And I, you know, I like that it comes after the word again. So he's said it previously. Evil desires madden the soul, casting you into incontinent and licentious impulses. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. And then it goes again. If you were attentive to yourself, you would curb your temper. Mm-hmm. Like some disobedient and refractory cult, striking it with a blow of reason mm-hmm. as if by a lash. So that's that connection to the animals, right? The rational, yes, the irrational. Which I, I liked at the top of 103. It, it talks mm-hmm. about, therefore, be attentive to yourself and know that the rational part of the soul is also intelligent, but the passionate part is also irrational. And the one exists by nature to rule, while the other exists to obey reason and be persuaded by it. And then I think of um, Socrates and the chariot. Mm. Mm. Yeah, he calls us again to not be a slave to our passions. I think that was one in one of the other... Homilies as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, one of the, for me, a blue was near the end of 103. He says, Marvel at the Creator's work, how the power of your soul has been bound together with the body. Mm-hmm. So that penetrating to its extremities, it leads the many separate limbs and organs to one convergence and sharing of life. They're not separate, right? How the body receives life from the soul and the soul receives pain from the body. Mm-hmm. But it also says that the soul, the sympathy is given back to the soul by the flesh right before that. So it's not all yeah. negative in that exchange. It's not. And as he's talked about before, pain is sometimes for our correction. So Right. I don't see pain as negative. Yeah. Yeah, the sensory organs that we have of taste, touch, smell. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, are not that. That's where pain is going to come from, and, it, and it's it's not bad. It's actually um, when we avoid the pain, it's a lot worse, which I'm prone to do. So I'm speaking from experience that when I have avoided the pain, I actually make it harder on my soul to heal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought, he says, examine where you have stored away the things you have learned. Mm-hmm. Why the addition of things that have come later does not overshadow the knowledge of things retained. Right, like the original way you understand an instance, if you find out later that's not how somebody intended it and that's not mm-hmm. what was actually going on, it's actually hard to receive the full story because we retain our first one. Right. So that faculty can work in the negative, but can also work in the positive, right? To to hold on to the things you've learned. And then as more comes, it it becomes a building as a part as opposed to a conflict. Both end. But I thought it was important. I mean, I thought it was helpful to me how he ends this section talking about how mm-hmm. this this takes me back to the very beginning about being very attentive, right? And how easily the imagination can be a problem. Because he talks about here, he says, examine how as the soul slips gradually toward the passions of the flesh, its own beauty is destroyed. So, you know, those first few fleeting thoughts may not be destructive. They may not even be sinful in any way but when we linger in that imagination and we let it run wild it, it's 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 this gradual um destruction um but then he but then he follows it up with something more hopeful and how again cleansed from the shame of evil through virtue it ascends quickly towards the likeness of the creator that when we turn away from it that the the virtue cleanses quickly I found that beautiful because you you think, especially if you're in sin and despair, right, that there's no hope. Mm. But this is telling us that there's always hope in it quickly. Like it, it overrides that darkness, right? That little bit of light comes through and it just sheds on all the darkness and brings it toward Christ. This one, to, you know, closes with him having us examine, be able to examine the body as God's creation is what I called it. I don't know how mm-hmm. you 
to saw this one. Yeah, for me, this re- this section really helped kind of bring it home and and remove any like uh, concern of sliding into a Gnostic position, Christian Gnosticism from mm-hmm. the earlier mentions like because he kind of yeah. and I and I think if I remember correctly, this he all this also echoes one of the previous maybe the first homily about the structure of the body that what how we're differentiated from the animals and the quadrupeds whose whose face is toward their stomach and yeah. ours is ours is toward the heavens basically and he's and i but I, I think he goes into more detail here though getting specific about the placement of the eyes and the ears and how they all lend toward a more a rational or noetic um life for man for for men versus animals um I appreciate that none of them, none of them, the sight, hearing, taste, and smell impedes the activity mm. of its neighbor. Like just to look at the physical faces and to know, like where he said earlier, to not be preoccupying ourselves with our neighbor's splinter. That the the face doesn't preoccupy itself with each other, right? They're each each eye functions, the mouth, you know, all of these parts function, yeah. and they're not invading each other. Neither should we invade on our neighbor. Yeah, it's really kind of like miraculous when you think about it that the nose does not get in the way of the eyes functioning. Mm-hmm. Like it seems like physically it should be impeding your view a lot more than it does, but the way your eyes work together, it just basically surpass skips right past the nose and it's what being in its way because of it. it's perfectly placed to not be i don't know just that simple fact is kind of blows my mind a little bit thinking about it like this and then the ears are basically handling the things that the eyes aren't seeing right like they're being attentive to the things that the eyes can't see i don't know i, I thought his i thought his brief description of that here was right. pretty was, i mean the, the place that, you know, we, I could have a conversation with him is about how the smell can impede the t- taste. If smelling doesn't happen, is mm-hmm. is it smelling that you lose and then you lose your taste? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I did a, in grad school, it's one of the tests we did. You know, we would have people see certain things and touch certain things, smell things and taste things and figure out which one that happened when, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To yeah, see where in- because he does interestingly mention taste first, but then when he gets around to the tongue, he talks more about speech. Right. Uh, he talks about food after, I mean, the teeth taking care of the food after that, but, um, mm-hmm. yeah. But he says, and so when you have traversed all things with suitable reflection on each and have observed carefully how air is drawn in through the breath, you know, then you can say with the prophet, your knowledge from myself has become wonderful. Yeah, that eight, and he talks in combined with seven. Mm-hmm. He talks about that this. This is interesting that this knowledge of the self can help us to contemplate, help us to contemplate God. Um, I assume because of being made in the image. So while we can't like fully comprehend God, it's 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 how being attentive to ourself is what is going to help tell us it's one of the things going to help tell us things about god he seems to be saying which is interesting to think about um and and i don't know if that's just because the being attentive will help us be in right relationship and therefore be able to understand more um but this verse from psalm that you mentioned your knowledge from myself has become wonderful and he says therefore be attentive to yourself that you may be attentive to god i want to i'm not sure how that relationship works but i feel like with this whole homily you know that the focus on being attentive on on the inner self the mind the the soul the heart not the physical needs um not the sins of others how that um uh how that kind of attentiveness leads toward better understanding of god and is there is it in some way uh connected with the importance of knowing thyself we get from from plato you know is it is it a is it a completion of that a perfection of that in some way uh that plato didn't have without divine revelation that this would be this would be the highest form of knowing yourself right uh that plato talks about being attentive to the actual matters of the soul 
I don't know. It's something I want to spend more time with. I don't know the answers. It's just questions I want to keep thinking about. Mm-hmm. I don't have an answer either, Brandon. <laughs> I don't either, but I'm glad he called back to this about the quadrupeds looking at their stomachs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Ever since we read that, I've been going on walks in the morning, my family for exercise. And I'm typically um, looking at my phone. Mm. And I was like, I just need to put my phone away and look to the heavens, look mm. at the creation around me. And uh, yeah, it's a I'm different a rational soul. I'm not an animal. <laughs> it's a different kind of stomach, right? This, this digital stomach that needs to be fed yes. all the time. <laughs> It's yes. always hungry. It's ravenous. That's good. Oh, that's good to think about. Man. Yeah. How often is my head down? Because it's looking at something in my in my hands as opposed to up. That's good. Hard to see the image of God on the people if you're never looking at their face. Surprisingly, mm-hmm. people are pretty friendly. <laughs> Yeah. They're yeah. walking too. You're like, hey, how are you doing? And, That's right. <laughs> like eye contact. It's that whole experience. Like you smile at somebody, like it's almost reflective. They smile back. Like people have to be in a pretty bad mood to not smile back at you. Yeah. Um to be like committed curmudgeons, basically. What are you smiling at? <laughs> yep, that kind of person. But <laughs> but yeah. It's amazing how much we just respond to other people. We look each other right in the in the face. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, we don't get to submit our questions to St. Basil now. No. <laughs> Somebody went before us and did. Bishop Amphilochius yes. sent in a question. So yes. we're going to get to read about that next time. Yeah, this it. is fun. I, I'm. Um, it's interesting when you, you have letters between people that are like thinkers, right? So it, there's a couple places you get that. And it seems to be a... One of our best places for that is between bishops. So these guys were, they were both bishops at the time. Um, I think this bishop had been one of his students, if I remember correctly. We'll probably get into that. But so that's kind of fun to see those kind of writings back and forth. Um, From what I understand, his sister, Macrina, who's also a saint, is the the older sister of St. Basil and St. Gregory. I think almost all the writings we have of hers are epistolary, like either to the, her brothers or to other her the nuns that were underneath her um, tutelage. So, like the writings of hers we have are almost all epistolary, and it's supposed to be pretty good too. So, yeah, should be fun. So we'll cover that one, and then also the last chapter. That's kind of short, and then the last chapter is um, a selections of his rules, so uh, uh, kind of monastic rules. Um, if you're familiar with St. Benedict, a uh, similar type of idea. And I believe he drew on the work that St. Basil had done before him. So that should be mm-hmm. fun to kind of poke around and, and get a feel for those type of writings too. So, yeah. Well, and um, if anybody wants to, you know, have in-person conversations with us on these things, they can come to the regional conference in the end of the month in Georgia, That's right. Atlanta, Georgia, October 20th and 21st. It'll be the first regional conference I won't be attending because Cersei planned it on my birthday. <laughs> um, and I told them if they did, I wouldn't come. So, uh, yeah. I'll be there. You can come. Yeah. Patty's going to be there. <laughs> Everybody Patty. else from Cersei is going to be there. Um, so, but, but, yeah, it's it's completely worth it. Talk so, to Matt, um, Patty, and Al. You talk to all the Biancos, basically. All the Biancos. John Hodges. <laughs> and McIntosh will be there. Heidi White will be there. Yes. Kristen Rudd. Yeah. If you listen to, so that's other podcasters, uh, you know, on our network and others, you know, Tim, obviously on the plays a thing, uh, John Hodges, if you've been listening over on Quiddity, he's been over there several times in the last uh, six months or so doing some music education for us. If you haven't checked those out, check them out. If you want to like learn how to hear music better, it should be lots of fun. And then we have a brand new thing happening with Cersei, right? Andrea coming in January. Mm-hmm. Many of you are probably familiar with the uh, the Forma magazine, Forma Journal, but Forma is is going to be hosting its own uh, symposium. Symposium, yeah. It's not so a this conference. Month, you can um, check out the website for this. We all updated the information on um, submittals to be a presenter, and so you just need to submit. I think it's two fifty to five hundred word synopsis 
of your ideas um, to be chosen to be a presenter and then come prepared to present 10 to 12 minutes and be on a panel and have questions asked of you. Um, and then if you're chosen to write yours, then develop it into a full paper to be published in form of magazine. Yeah. Um, but DC Schindler will be present and people what? will just, uh, present on his ideas in his latest book. And then he will engage in that with them. Nice. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, Tim had Emily Maeda on uh, on the recent podcast for Richard the uh, Third, and they kept mm -hmm. going back to some of his some of Schindler's talks from this summer, like just yeah. just so much there. They, like I think on two or three episodes, they reference back to that uh, talk of his from this summer. So, what a cool opportunity to kind of be get in front of him and and uh, and meet, talk to him there and talk about the ideas that he's been writing about for a long time. Right. Um, yeah. So for those of people who aren't familiar with this kind of event, it's, um, it's these, these happen. There's different societies that hold these kind of events where it's a, a pre presentation of papers or presentation of abstracts for papers. Uh, uh, you know, it's kind of normal in academia. Um, oftentimes it's limited depending on the group that's, that's running it to mm -hmm. people who are PhD candidates or getting their masters or, you know, uh, but, but Cersei and Forma want to really have it be open for anyone who wants to present on an idea. Um, and so they, we don't have that requirement. Um, and we believe that there are thoughtful things coming out about classical education and uh, logocentrism, which I think is is kind of what we're talking about a little bit this time yes. um, from all corners of, of our audience and of our of our. Uh, circle of friends here with Cersei. And so we want to make sure that everybody has an opportunity to, to be a part of that um, and present or come listen. And so do check out the, that information. I'll put the link in the show notes as well to both the conference and the, um, and the symposium, but uh, pretty cool opportunity. I'm pretty excited about that. Uh, mm -hmm. I know everybody that's involved with the former journal too is, is excited about that. So. Yes. Very cool. All right. So fun things happening. Be a part of it, um, either in person or with us online. Well, thank you both for coming again. Thank you for reading this book. It's been a lot of fun. I'm uh, looking forward to uh, our last session on, on it before the Q&A next week. Um, and thank all of you for joining us. We hope you'll come back next week for the conclusion of uh, On the Human Condition by St. Basil. Um, and we hope you'll check out the other shows on the Cersei Podcast Network that we just talked about, uh, Quiddity and the Plays a Thing and, and Proverbial and many others. Um, if you have a question or comment, please send it to us at podcast at CerseiInstitute.org, especially any questions about uh, on the human conditions. So we start preparing for that Q&A session. Uh, and we'll see you all next week. Mm -hmm.